downtown was definitely in crisis mode with the rest of the world. And it really brought to the forefront how important communication relationships really are. And so the downtown team, along with the downtown community, we really amped up that communication, the relationship building, and really formed quite a family like never before. So Streets, as an example, was an opportunity to build trust with our neighbors. Trust was a big one. Another was the opportunity to create these safe retrofits of the street as a pandemic response and really centering equity and modeling for city staff and our elected officials what equity looks like in practice and in a program. There's going to be a lot more demand on our public spaces because we've seen that they can do a lot more. We've seen that there are a lot of different ways that these public spaces that we hold together can be used in different ways. And so that's going to require a lot more coordination among different bodies, different entities to collaborate and make things possible. But once we get that ironed out, I, I think it's going to be fantastic. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Vitalist Spark Podcast. I'm your host, John Ford, and today we're taking it to the streets. Arizona overall, and Tucson in particular, had already been engaged in a variety of efforts to reactivate our streets and public spaces in ways that better connect us as people, harmoniously, whether those users are car drivers, transit riders, cyclists, or people of various modes and abilities. And then, a little thing known as COVID-19 came a-calling. At first, our streets were nearly deserted, and then they weren't. All of a sudden, we had different needs, while other long-neglected needs became urgent. As we transitioned through the stages of the pandemic and social change in 2020, public and open spaces became more essential than ever, but in brand new ways. And that's what this discussion is all about. Our public right-of-ways can be considered as the single largest public real estate investment of all. So how can we use them, in combination with open spaces, in order to create community health, well-being, and vibrancy? Before we get to our guests and the task of answering that question, know that this conversation picks up where another report left off. Check the show notes for a link to Creating Vibrant Communities, the 113th Arizona Town Hall Background Report. Throughout the course of last year and 2021, community town halls are convening virtually to discuss the broader question of how to create community vibrancy. This podcast zeroes in on one chapter, the role of streets, transportation, and open space. And wow, have things changed since COVID began. So let's get right to it. It's time to talk about streeteries, parklets, neighbors connecting in new ways, the realities of how a downtown business district survives and thrives, how a nonprofit cancels some of its biggest events and does the same, and how a city can best support everyone's efforts to create community vibrancy as of March 22, 2021. We are so, so grateful to have these folks with us today, starting with Gabriela Barrias Longoria. She is the livability planner for City of Tucson. Gabriela, how are you? Doing fabulous. Also, joining us from Living Streets Alliance, she is the executive director. Her name is Emily Yetman. Emily, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me today, John. And last but definitely not least, she's the president and CEO of Downtown Tucson Partnership, Kathleen Erickson. How are you? I'm doing great. Kathleen, it makes more sense than I can think of to start with you because... When COVID hit, nobody was more impacted than people in a central business district, people who ran restaurants, people who ran venues where people normally congregate. So talk about how in the heck you absorbed the shock of the pandemic and the lockdown, how you emerged from it, 
and how you were able to respond so creatively and responsibly. Like everyone, we were all in a respond and recover mode (laughs) and the information was coming in daily and it was different information every day and we had to respond to that information and the various aspects of the lockdown. And at the same time, as you all know, we had quite a bit of social unrest (laughs) mixed in with that too. So we needed to respond rapidly. And we started off by assessing what the needs of the business community was on a daily basis. And that changed rapidly. So in our response, the primary thing was communicating, communicating almost excessively every day with our stakeholders and the businesses with new information that was coming out. And then from that point, building on the partnerships that already existed to gain support for the downtown business community. The primary way that we did that was with partnering with Pima County through a partnership agreement whereby Pima County allotted $400,000 of federal care grant dollars to the Downtown Tucson Partnership, which we regranted to downtown businesses. We did that in the form of two separate grants. We had a downtown rebound grant that allowed for approximately $90,000 to be regranted to various downtown businesses. And this helped them to respond to the various changes that needed to take effect in their business as far as layout, to allow for social distancing, and then also provide PPE materials. An additional $200,000 was granted to us through federal CARES dollars through Pima County to create an atmosphere that was clean and safe and that helped to rebuild customer confidence to return to downtown. We used that money to purchase solar-powered touchless trash compactors, hand sanitation stations. We purchased 30 of those and distributed those throughout the downtown, as well as uh, water filling stations and a tremendous marketing effort to educate the public on health and safety standards as well as welcoming them in kind of a fun way that would instill consumer confidence that, yes, it is safe to come back downtown. We have very strong partnerships with Pima County and the city for various activities in downtown. We couldn't do anything we do without having those very strong partnerships. But this was the first time we ever entered into one that was tied with such a large dollar sum. Gabriella, so you had an enormous challenge like no other as well. You faced at first an immediate lockdown. And then probably the one thing nobody anticipated when this all started was that people actually did flood the streets in the neighborhoods. Yeah, it was interesting. We took the lead of other cities and how other city transportation mobility departments and how they responded to the pandemic in terms of what role do the streets play in access to jobs for all the essential workers that didn't have the luxury of staying home. Like we had to be really cognizant of who is this for and how are we making sure to center people's needs that need it the most. So not only catering this program to people that are working from home, we have more time to get out and ride their bikes and walk in their neighborhoods, but everybody was facing a heightened sense of anxiety and how do we make sure that we're not making it harder for them to get to work or where they need to go, but making their streets safer. There's a, the NACTO is a group of, of cities that have become member cities and it's a really fantastic resource for myself and city staff to see like, what are other people doing? So, cause otherwise the work can be pretty isolating. So we really jumped on the bandwagon pretty early as relatively early adopters and followed the lead of Oakland, Denver, New York City. Those were some of the few that presented very early on on how they were 
using slow streets as a pandemic response. So tell us what Low Streets is and how you implemented it. Good question. So Slow Streets is a program. It's it's centered on residential streets. So we temporarily restrict the access to local traffic only to make it so that we're really prioritizing biking, walking, and safety for people that need to like get to their bus stop as well. And addressing the primary concerns that we've heard from the community which are speed and volume on our streets that sometimes make it so they don't feel comfortable getting out and biking and walking and would otherwise choose to to use a car for a short trip. So the primary driver is safety, making it safer for neighborhood streets, and then looking at how to work with the neighborhoods to look at some potential solutions. So Slow Streets is putting temporary signage and barricades out in the right of way in the street to create like traffic calming basically. So like curb extensions could also do traffic circles, just a a configuration of them with signage and give people a feel for what it could look like on a more permanent basis. So it's a really good way of testing out traffic calming. All of which is amazing news to you, Emily, like you're the queen of temporary setups and helping communities think about ways that they can reimagine their streets. So as all this is going on, as the pandemic hits, the first thing you have to do is triage what you thought you were going to do. And the next thing you have to do is welcome these opportunities. So talk about that. It's a trip to think about a year ago and the fact that we were one month out from our big biannual Ciclovia Tucson event, which is an open streets event where we get 35 to 40,000 people out together to be together in the streets and to bike, walk, explore, play, learn. It's a lot of fun, but it's all about bringing people together in real time and real space. So you can imagine what a shock that was when within the span of a week, we had to not only cancel the event, but pause and think about pretty much all of our programming going forward, working with schools, working with neighborhoods when so much of our work was in person. It was definitely shocking at first, but within the first couple weeks of the Arizona stay-at-home order, we started getting photos from folks and hearing stories, getting a lot of people saying, we're going out with our family. We're like walking in our neighborhood every day because that's a way that we can get some fresh air and something we can do together. And it's kind of amazing, but we're realizing that traffic is still a concern and cars still go fast sometimes. So we saw that people were putting up homemade signs saying kids playing here, slow down, or keep an eye out for kids as you're driving through. It was interesting because it was in this golden moment that was this pause that everyone was experiencing who could stay home. They were rediscovering and reconnecting with their place, with their neighborhoods, getting out and meeting neighbors at a distance for the first time. story after story about the value and the quiet. I thought that was a really interesting piece, like people really noticing the noise that was not there that they had grown so used to hearing and feeling like a piece of being with their family and having this quiet moment. So it was really exciting to see the city of Tucson jump in and Gabriella and her team make the slow streets happen. We also worked with the city of South Tucson to do something similar 
along a corridor that's gonna get some permanent improvements down the road. And so this was exactly as Gabriella talked about, a chance to experiment with traffic calming using things like signs and barricades and some artwork and to get people thinking about and talking about what was possible. And so a year later, there's so much that is possible and so much potential still to capitalize on what's happened. And that includes things that have happened in the business community too, thinking about parking spaces that have been turned into streeteries or temporary loading zones or you name it, pick up drop off spaces, but so much more efficiency, I think, to the way our streets are being used right now. I want to think of where it could go next. Kathleen, how does the downtown partnership feel a year later? I mean, these things did happen in ways that they'd never happened before. Is it exciting? Does it fill businesses with hope or would they prefer to go back to the way things were? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. There's been a lot of opportunities that have been created as a result of this. So my answer would be that it fills the business community with hope. It's incredible to see how these businesses have been able to adapt to the change and really strengthen their business model. And in some cases, it required for those that were not able to pivot and adapt to the changes to close their business. I'm very happy to state that overall, we've had five businesses close within the downtown partnership at Business Improvement District. And comparatively speaking to the rest of the nation, we fared quite well. I'm excited for the future. It helps us to redefine what our future is. How do we wanna shape the streets and the sidewalks in the downtown? And I think that with the city's relaxing of the changes to the code for allowable seating outdoors, allowing for the parklets to be used for outdoor cafes, the state relaxing their regulations in terms of liquor control and what they're allowing for, again, the parklets to be able to serve and extend their liquor license to the parklet or the parking space has really created this vibrant community downtown. You walk downtown right now and there's a lot of people returning to downtown and they're returning in a very safe way. Everybody's wearing face masks. There's hand sanitation stations available for everyone to use within each block. And I think there's a lot of hope and excitement for the future. And with the vaccine that's in play right now, you know, my hope is that we can get back to some sense of normalcy by fall or winter. There's no way of knowing that, but that's our hope. You had mentioned to me, Kathleen, when we were getting ready to do this, that yours is an organization that's focused on downtown vibrancy. And that was a really tough task when the lockdown came. It's unfortunate to lose five businesses, but... Not so bad the way you guys came through and with the amount of creativity that you've gotten out of it and the amount of change that you've gotten from it. If you were to be standing right now in front of the people who make those final decisions about the permanency of those things, what would you be saying on behalf of your businesses that you would be looking for? I would encourage the codes to remain in place for allowing to utilize parking spaces for the recreation of parklets to encourage outdoor cafe space. People want to be around people. And this past year has been really hard. Our businesses for creating vibrancy downtown, how do you do that without creating vibrancy? Well, we tried to do that in some unique and creative ways. And so having the health and safety of the downtown and the downtown community be priority number one while also attracting people in a very safe way, in a socially distanced way, has been what we have been focused on throughout this past year. 
We have some really exciting new events that are coming up, which we think foots the bill for both of those areas of health and safety. One is the Haiku Hike, which just was launched this past Saturday, the first day of spring. And we have 20 winning haiku that are printed on acrylic signs and peppered throughout the downtown in our planters. So people can take a moment and read a haiku. And what's really nice about it is that the theme for the haiku is living in the present moment. And I think that overall, there has been no more uh, poignant message than that throughout the pandemic. This is a self-guided hike that people and their families can go and take downtown, get out, get active, maybe even go in and support a local business at the same time. We're also partnering with Fox Theater to do Troubadour Thursdays, and this is every Thursday in April from 5.30 to 8.30. We have musical duos, which will be going and traveling around to the different various cafes downtown. So we have a lot of events. We're bringing back arts and culture. Even though we can't all be in one room together safely, we've brought that art and culture onto the streets. And we're really excited about how people can re-engage with the downtown in a healthy way. Emily, as somebody who has been advocating for these kinds of changes for quite some time, are you excited? Are you hopeful? Are you anxious? What are you looking towards as we move through 2021? It's so cliche to hear like the silver lining. I think we've all heard that so many times now. And while this has been a time that's been very difficult for many people, it was such a unique opportunity for our local communities, but for the world, I think, to do something that we talk about all the time. Like our organization, we talk about making what is possible visible. So trying to create these experiences, these glimpses of what could be happen. And we do that through open streets events. We do that through intersection murals. We do that through pop-up events. But it's really trying to help people conceive of how things could be different. And what we've seen is that happening in mass over the past year, all the innovation that's been happening, and not just in one place or in one city, but across the country, across the globe. I'm so excited to see what we carry forward, both locally and I think here in Arizona too. I actually grew up in Prescott, Northern Arizona, and I was really excited to discover that they kicked off a parklet program early in the summer last year. And we're able to get some streeteries installed and open downtown and the businesses were able to take advantage of that. And now they're trying to make it a permanent thing. They're trying to get the policies and the practices in place to make that something that is permanent and that more businesses can do. And I think that that's just so awesome that this is what is coming out of the pandemic, these opportunities to innovate and experiment and for more people to do it often. I can't wait to see what happens next. The first parklet, Gabriella, was built in roughly 1970 or 71, I think it was, in San Francisco. And cities have struggled with how to do something like a parklet or a streetery. It has been an issue of ordinance. It has been an issue of traffic planning. It has been an issue of food and alcohol. It's been all kinds of things. And yet a pandemic pushes us and lo and behold, cities all over Arizona are considering or are actually implementing these types of projects. As somebody who's dedicating herself to livability and city planning, how do you feel about that? How do you react to something like that? And how do you take advantage of it going forward? 
the city of Tucson, we've dabbled in it, but Living Streets Alliance has really like led the way this years ago, just helping with that parklet program in collaboration with the university. And it was kind of like a one day thing. The parking day, that's it. Transform a parking (laughs) space into a park for a day. Yes. So there's been these little efforts and an understanding of what it is, but not like a whole program dedicated to it. Part of the COVID response on the city side was the extended dining. So it was like two-pronged approach, the slow streets and the extended dining. We received support from mayor and council to use some of the CARES Act dollars for those two programs, which really allowed us to go big this last fall. So the extended dining was that is the kind of streeteries concept that you're talking about. And it's going to be become more of a permanent program. So a couple of my colleagues are working on that and working with the businesses to have a create a streamlined process for businesses to be able to make it a more permanent improvement in terms of extending their tables and their business out onto the street. So that's exciting. Emily, I'm coming back to you. Here we are. We think we might be emerging from COVID-19 as a pandemic, maybe sometime this year. It's a good time to reflect. How has COVID-19 changed your work for better and or for worse? I think for better, it spread the work out. I think there are more people energized and excited to carry the work forth. And it doesn't have to be just us beating the drum anymore. And I'm really excited about that. I think that's going to be a good thing. We've we've all seen it and witnessed it, experienced it. And now more people are going to be saying, we want this to become permanent or what we want this to last. We want these things that we're working to continue working and let's make it easy for them to continue happening. The things that maybe are harder, I think there's going to be a lot more demand on our public spaces because we've seen that they can do a lot more, right? And they can function at different ways at different times of day, uh, different times of the year. Maybe it's a weekend thing. We've seen that there are a lot of different ways that these public spaces that we hold together can be used in different ways. And so that's going to require a lot more coordination among different bodies, different entities to collaborate and make things possible. But once we get that ironed out, I I think it's going to be fantastic. I mean, I was thinking about the Fourth Avenue Street Fair here in Tucson, which has been happening for, I don't know, I feel like forever. And it's one of these things that people come from all over to experience because it's a festive environment where the streets are free of cars. I think if you make the offer to let's permanently close down the street and make that permanent fixture, that sounds scary. But what we've seen is that these kind of incremental approaches open people's minds to what can happen. And so maybe it isn't an all or nothing thing. Maybe it's like really getting good at designing our streets, creating mechanisms so that they can continue to function in different ways at different times of the year or the day or the week or the month. That'll be a little bit of work, but I have a lot of faith that it's where we need to go. And so we'll figure it out collectively how to make it happen. Kathleen, how about you? Emily just made quite the profound statement. Maybe it isn't all or nothing. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's something else. What's your reflection on how this pandemic has made your work changed for the better? or for the worse. Downtown was definitely in crisis mode with the rest of the world. And it really brought to the forefront how important communication relationships really are. And so the downtown team, along with the downtown community making up all of the businesses and the property owners, we really amped up that communication, the relationship building and really formed quite a family like 
never before. We have each other's cell phone numbers, we're texting, we're communicating. In the middle of a crisis mode, things need to be done. You have to be relentless and take action. Can't look for permission or someone to tell you what to do. You have to respond. And I think everyone downtown has really stepped up to that role. And so it's been really heartening to see how everyone has been able to respond to such a crisis. Moving forward, are there any things that we're afraid of? It's kind of the obvious. The return to the office to have people physically working downtown. There's concern about that. Also living downtown, there's been a shift nationwide from people moving out of the downtown and into residents that are more in suburban areas. But according to different studies that I've read so far, one primarily from the Progressive Urban Management Associates, they're seeing that the downtown demographic is not leaving downtown they may select a different form of living downtown, like cooperative living, or maybe looking for a different rental price points. So we may see a shift in the market as far as the cost of downtown, how much it costs to live downtown, or how are these people working downtown? They might be working downtown for two to three days per week in a co-work space, and then working from home a couple days a week. So even the obvious scary things that we're concerned about, I see a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that overall, with the new things that we've learned and listening to the community and what they want to see downtown, they want to be around other people. They want to do it in a safe way. They want to have outdoor cafes and have pedestrian-friendly streets and parks that they feel safe and welcome and engaged in. With the city listening and responding and the DTP and Pima County, Living Streets Alliance and all our partners, everyone's responding to that. And so I see a, a very bright future taking all of that into consideration. Gabriella, you work with downtown, you work with suburbs, you work with every neighborhood. How do you think about the last year? How's it changed your work for better or for worse? There are a few things come to mind. One is the opportunity with So Streets, as an example, was an opportunity to build trust with our neighbors. I heard from several of the block leaders that we recruited for this effort. We recruited 45 block leaders from each of the locations. The act of just being involved in the process as a block leader helps them have a, a restored sense of faith in the city and that we are willing to work very closely with the neighbors and understand their needs more and help make sure that these projects are addressing needs. So that was really positive to hear. And we heard similar feedback from school principal that was also a block leader, a school on the South side. And he also expressed that he really enjoyed the relationships that were built along the process with myself and the project team and that we were really there to support their community. Trust was a big one. Another was the opportunity to create these safe retrofits of the street as a pandemic response and really centering equity and modeling for city staff and our elected officials what equity looks like in practice and in a program. So when it comes to implementing it as in comparison with equality. So we took a data-driven approach to selecting the slow streets. One, because the funding was coming from CARES Act dollars. So that was a really easy way to sneak in. Like this is 
why we are going to prioritize communities that have been hit the hardest by the pandemic. So we looked at data from the Arizona Department of Health that looked at COVID cases. So we could see by zip code, which zip codes were hit the hardest in terms of daily cases. We also looked at our neighborhood vulnerability index, heat vulnerability, and then some more qualitative data points like just the need for traffic calming or a lack of infrastructure. You can look at it as a lack of investment in neighborhoods historically. And the other main criteria was that we needed neighborhood support. So it had to come from the community rather than myself and other planners just pointing to a map I'm like, oh, this would be a cool slow street. So we really wanted something that had buy-in from the community. I couldn't believe that I didn't receive any pushback from the locations, neither from mayor and council or neighbors, even though we had over 100 applications and could only select 15 people were, as soon as I explained how we went about selecting it, they were very understanding. It was a neat way to model that we have six wards here in the city of Tucson, and it wasn't that there would be an even amount of streets per ward. It was really looking at the data and the need. Emily, to Gabriella's point about equity. How does Living Streets Alliance approach doing its work in an equitable way? Many different ways. I mean, it varies from program to program, but we're always looking to like where has disinvestment happened historically, whose voices are not at the decision-making table. And we put our energy, our resources, and our intentions into explicitly engaging with those communities. And so just what an opportunity that program has been to engage people in a conversation about what is possible. And what's really key about that program and interventions that we use all the time is this go to them approach. So you're not asking people to take time out of their busy day to come to a public meeting where there's a room full of people that maybe feel really intimidating and they feel alone and scared, but it's literally meeting people right outside their front door and having a casual and honest conversation about what's your life like? What's your experience been like? What it, what concerns do you have in your neighborhood? And then with the lens of, well, what can we do to help? And thinking about what money is coming down the pipeline, what plans are coming down the pipeline, and how can we ensure and advocate that those plans and policies and funding align with what we're hearing on the ground. And so I guess at Living Streets Alliance, that's our method and our lens through which we approach all of our work. And I think that that lens works really well with everything that we've been talking about here today. It's a way to think about, we've witnessed what people want and need and how do we carry that forward? How do we prioritize that going forward? It's a great point, Kathleen, what people want and need. That's really the way Downtown Tucson Partnership has responded as well, right? What do people want and need? Yeah, exactly. In our vision for Downtown Tucson Partnership as an organization, we see the downtown as a downtown for everyone, a downtown for all. And that includes people that may be experiencing homelessness on the street to somebody that's visiting from California with their family to a local Tucsonan. There's a number of ways that we can do that. One of the first ways that we do that is We have people on the street. We have a safety and maintenance team of approximately 20 people in purple shirts. You may have seen them. And they are actually certified tourism ambassadors through the Visit Tucson program. Downtown is a safe, welcoming location for their visitors. They're helping to direct people. They're helping people in need. These 20 individuals were 
downtown and they were viewed as essential workers throughout the entire pandemic. So they provided the sense of normalcy at a time when people didn't know what was happening the very next day. In addition to that, we've also created a social justice committee and we're looking at how do we really create a downtown for all where everyone feels welcome to be here. So that's a work in progress. We're definitely not there. We're learning and we're putting efforts and money into figuring out how to do that. Through the Pima County Agreement, we also had another grant program called the uh, Outdoor Cafe Grant, and we were able to award $110,000 to approximately 23 businesses to help offset the costs for new or expanded outdoor cafes. The grant was for $5,000 maximum, and as a result, we now have 31 outdoor cafes downtown. So we're just thrilled with that. We also did another program, which was called the Outdoor Heater Program. We were able to get a large corporation at HSL Properties to sponsor the grant program, and we distributed 40 outdoor heaters to various downtown cafes. They did more than just provide heat. They had this long cylindrical glass tube that goes through the middle of the heater, and it's a very beautiful and aesthetic addition to the downtown. Waking up each morning thinking, what do the businesses need to survive and thrive? And then trying to come up with a creative yet simple response to it has been what we've been doing. And right now, our businesses, especially the restaurant businesses, have had some trouble finding reliable staff with everything that's going on with the employment situation and different varying hours and business levels, it's been hard to keep staff on. So that's the next hurdle we have. Many times we're acting outside of the box or our wheelhouse of what we should be doing, but that's just the sign of the times, I guess. Our next thing will maybe be to partner with some employment agencies and see if we can do some type of job fair for the restaurants, get them the cooks, the restaurant servers that they need. Emily, a lot of people would rather forget 2020, but we're going to keep focusing on the entire past year anyway. Let me ask you this. What has this year and its focus on public health and public spaces and social change, what has it taught you and what has it taught your organization more broadly about the keys to community health and vibrancy? Well, this one is not a quick fix, but I think that the Black Lives Matter movement and the power that we all witnessed the pain, the struggle, the hope that we all witnessed over the past year is something that cannot be left out of this conversation. And for us, it really highlighted that we often as an organization talk about safety. And I, when I talk about safety, I often think about, I don't want to be hit by a car when I'm out riding my bike with my child. And what that really elevated for me was that safety means something very different to people who do not look like me and do not have the privilege of being white moving through our public spaces. There's so much that, you know, as someone who came up through landscape architecture training and has been curious about public spaces for a long time, like it never occurred to me what it would be like to always feel like you're being watched and how that is reinforced and how our spaces are designed. So I think that we still have so much to learn and to think about with our parks and our streets and our public spaces and our communities and what we have to do differently, how they can be designed differently, but how we have to treat them differently in order to make sure that 
everyone can truly feel safe and be able to define safety for themselves. So that's always at the forefront of our minds going forward is sure it's still about thinking about all the good stuff, but boy, if we're not thinking about what it means for everyone and incorporating all of those needs and ideas too, then we're not going to take this where it needs to go. It's not going to be inclusive. It's not going to be diverse. And in all of that, we're not going to have as innovative and exciting solutions because we won't know the problems and the opportunities that exist. That's one that's definitely on my mind moving forward. Great points all. Gabriella, same question to you. When you think about all the things that Emily just brought to the fore and even your comments earlier in this conversation about how we've got to do things only with the community and by the community, how do you feel about the last year of this public health emergency and social change and what has it taught you and the city of Tucson? Similar to what Emily said and reflecting on this past year and what safety means to different people. Personally, myself as a a light-skinned Latina, I experience the streets very differently than our fellow community members who are African-American, Asian-American, different groups that have been targeted and experienced uh, police brutality and, and harassment. So I've been reflecting a lot on this program and making sure to expand the definition of safety and not get locked into what we typically think of in the transportation world as traffic safety and just like speed and volume and some of these hard metrics, but having this program be an opportunity to have a conversation with community members on how can we make the streets safer for you personally by partnering with community organizations and others who really have built a sense of trust with a community. So I have a, a friend who personally this summer, he didn't feel safe going out and running around his neighborhood here in Tucson as a young Black man because of the racial slurs that he experienced from people just driving by and saying terrible things that you would stereotypically think of, oh, that doesn't happen here. That only happens in the deep South. It was just an eye-opener to me to just continue to list, hear people's stories of those that are affected and be more mindful of the work that we're doing. Nice. Kathleen, you are in the unenviable position of being last to comment on this. <laughs> Reflect back, though, if you would. What has a year of public health and social change taught you as an individual and your organization more broadly? Again, communication and relationship building has been absolutely critical throughout this entire past year. And in communicating, primarily I'm talking about not speaking out or communicating out, but listening, really hearing what our stakeholders and the visitors to downtown have to say, and thinking about that and then responding appropriately to what we're hearing, trying to come up with solutions that are simple and easy to implement and that meet the needs of our stakeholders. So doing a good job listening and hearing the people has really been something that we're going to carry forward. We see that as a positive aspect of this entire pandemic and social unrest. Okay, it's March, which means it's March Madness. We're going to think back on everything we've talked about, all these open spaces and streets and all the things that we've been focused on during this podcast. I want you to create your own March Madness bracket, if you will. Think about the four regions that you have been working in and create those as if they were a March Madness bracket. And then tell me what your final four 
looks like. You don't have to pick one winner, but tell me what your final four looks like. Joe, this is so abstract. I just have to say. <laughs> I love it. So okay. you're ready is what Visualize you're saying. Visualize with me. Do Yeah, sure. Okay. First, let's build what people want. So let's make it possible to walk, bike, be healthy, move through our city in ways that are feel safe, not just during the pandemic. That's one. We heard what people need. Let's build it. Next one, let's make flexible the norm. So let's get whatever policies and practices in place. Let's get rid of, let's streamline, let's eliminate red tape, make the flexible the norm. Okay, that's two. Third one I would say is capitalize on streets as public spaces at people's front door. So, and let's experiment with that. So one thing that I'm excited about, I saw that the city of Tucson Parks and Rec Department just launched, it's called Ready, Set, Rec, and it's a mobile recreation unit. It will go to parks and set up and have games and things that people can do. Let's think about million and one ways to do that exact sort of thing. Let's set up uh, play streets on the weekends. Let's, you name it, let's, let's look about how we can take advantage of our streets. And then the fourth one, which I already talked about a little bit, is let's engage people in non-traditional ways. We can make engagement joyful. We can make it meaningful. We can go to people instead of asking them to come to us. And we can do that through all of the things I just mentioned as we're doing all of these other things. That's a really great way to get more and different and diverse voices to the table so that we can manifest a more beautiful future together. Those are my four. With Win. apologies to the NCAA, I think that'd be a much more entertaining final four to watch. That's what I think. <laughs> Gabriella, how about you? You ready to play the game? You ready? Got your final four? I'm ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> One of them is pop up to permanent. So how do we figure out how to do this framework, like many programs of testing things out on a pop up or temporary basis, and then figuring out how to make them permanent. So delivering on that. Another is institutionalizing or formalizing this ambassador model of block leaders or street ambassadors, whatever you want to call them. But Kathleen talked about how they've really built in that ambassador model into their program. Emily's done it with several of hers and I've squeezed it in whenever I can. So really hoping to continue to build support for that and make it just a way of doing business. Three is partnerships are not an afterthought. So community partners, working with our amazing nonprofits that we have, really involving them early because it's just going to make all of our programs way better. So I'm very lucky to have Living Streets Alliance here locally and other groups on Tucson Partnership. So let's just continue to be more collaborative and not work in our silos. And then figuring out what does our future look like post-pandemic? So right now we have free transit. That was one of the ways that mayor and council decided to respond to the pandemic is let's make public transit free. That's going to expire here at the end of June. So what does the future look like for that? And how do we make transportation more accessible? So I don't know what that buzzword would be for the bracket, but that's the best I can do. <laughs> See, the problem is people usually ask you for three things. This is asking you for four. See, I know. It's hard. <laughs> That's true. But it's final four. We got to have the final four. All right. Kathleen, you're Love up. It. What do you think? What's your final four? 
So I think the final four from the perspective of the downtown Tucson partnership would be number one, providing a clean and safe environment for the community, a place that's beautiful, welcoming, that people feel comfortable in. We know that people want to be around people. Let's do it in a safe way, the safest way we can in the current pandemic. And as we evolve out of this, continue to have that safe, beautiful environment that people feel comfortable in. A big part of that, which would be number two, is outdoor seating. Let's get more outdoor seating. Um, we have active streets, yes. And we know that this is good. We know outdoor cafes are good because they create a sense of safety for people downtown. More people, more people feel safe. It creates this beauty and this aesthetic downtown that we really want and vibrancy on the sidewalks relationship building and communications. I mean, we've all talked a lot about that and there's a reason why it's so absolutely critical. The time to build a relationship with the fire department is not when you're standing in front of the burning building. <laughs> so <laughs> Gabriella and Emily, I agree with you on building new relationships early on, getting them involved and then communicating, communicating directly with the downtown businesses and the visitors in the downtown. And then the last one might be one of the most important ones, and that is from the perspective of DTP, is act at the speed of business. You know, we have to respond quickly. When we're in a crisis mode, businesses need help. They need it right now. So how do we help those businesses? How do we remove obstacles? How do we streamline approval processes for permitting and for other approvals that are required to help that business survive and thrive? So those are my final four. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Gabriella. And thank you, Kathleen. If there's one thing that is abundantly clear from this discussion, it's that our streets and shared spaces can be more and do more to connect us and enrich our lives than they did before. COVID forced changes born of necessity, but in spite of how we got to them, those changes turn out to be good ones. Of course, this isn't news to the Vitalist Spark podcast regular listeners. It's becoming a major theme, no matter what sector we're discussing. Go back and check out episodes on food, education, housing, tribal health, LGBTQ communities, climate change, and beyond. COVID has had horrible impact, starting with tragic loss of life. But COVID has also shaken perceptions of what is, what is possible, what can be, and what should be. There is no way we can recoup the losses of this pandemic, but there are ways we can move forward that can make a difference for the health, well-being, and vibrancy of our communities. We owe it to everyone who we lost, everyone who struggled, and everyone who survived to do better and to be better. This conversation today has given us important ways to do that when it comes to our public spaces. The Vitalist Spark will be back next week. In the meantime, our back catalog of episodes awaits your ears. There's a lot to listen to, including guests from across the state and national experts too. So visit us on the web at vitalisthealth.org podcast. Check out all of our current and past episodes on Spotify, or simply reach into that podcast app you're using right now and select another show to find out what's going on related to health and well-being in Arizona. That's it for now. The insights, reflections, and takeaways from this dialogue belong at the family dinner table as much as they do in business settings, in city and town halls, and in the domains of healthcare and public health. So please, share this independent episode far and wide. Subscribe to the Vitalist Spark podcast to get notified as soon as new episodes are released, or listen to the Vitalist Spark just like you listen to your favorite music on Spotify. Give us your feedback wherever you get your podcasts, or you can give us your input the old-fashioned way. Your corrections, complaints, and compliments are all welcomed by emailing us at feedback 
at vitalisthealth.org. Finally, remember this. With great responsibility comes great power. We'll see you back on the road to well-being soon.